Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're continuing our uh, series through the book of 1 Timothy. We just started last week, uh, been in Acts for months, and so we've uh, transitioned into a new series. Last week we began in chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Today we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul's testimony in verse 12. Now some of you who were here uh, throughout our study in Acts are going to say, Whoa, 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 Pastor, we've already looked at Paul's testimony several times. It was in Acts 9, Acts 27. Uh, you know, the bright light on the Damascus Road and falling to the ground blinded. You know, we've looked at that already and we have. I agree with that. But Paul tells it again in First Timothy. But this time he really leaves out the details of the circumstances of that day and really begins to focus on the theological aspects of God giving grace to a sinner like him. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at how Paul describes his testimony, uh, really describes the grace of God in each of our lives uh, just as Paul gave God, or just as God gave Paul grace, God's given us grace. And so we're going to look at that this morning, First Timothy chapter 1. And I am going to uh, begin reading in verse 11. Verse 11, you ready? In accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor. And an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God. I thank you, Father, that uh, you saved a wretch like me. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace that covers our sins, that... Enables us to be in your family. God, you're great. You're awesome. Lord, help us to to see just how good you are this morning. Please speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. In our 830 service, there is a gentleman who uh, told me uh, yesterday, I was talking to him yesterday, and he told me that uh, his grandson is going to get to do the toy costs. Toy costs. Man, you know, I knew it wasn't right, but I tried to say it again. Coin toss. Here we go. At the Oklahoma University football game next week, okay? Now, that family is really, you know, look, we got OU guys wearing OU shirts here today. And you can imagine that now, if you're an OU fan, that's a big deal. You know, that's a big honor. You know, grandson getting to do that. I'm not even going to say it. Flip the little silver thing in the air. Tells who gets to get the ball first. Okay. That's a big deal. It's a big honor. They're really pumped up about that. Okay. And in a similar way, except much, 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 much greater. The Apostle Paul begins our passage today just overwhelmed. Okay. Overwhelmed 
with, with, with the fact that God not only let him into God's family, but God also entrusted him with the message of salvation to give to other people. It, he's blown away by that, okay? He is absolutely blown away. He is overwhelmed with feelings of gratitude and honor and privilege at the opportunity to not only be a Christian, to be joined to Jesus Christ, but also to be a person who can share the gospel message with other people who can give the, the words of salvation to others. Man, he is, he is just overcome with joy. Now, I, I want you to really see how, how overcome with joy Paul is, because if you follow our passage, verse 17 is a, is a weird verse, okay? Because it doesn't fit with anything. If you, if you follow his line of thought, he talks about how, how grateful he is, how he thanks the Lord, who he used to be, how God's given him mercy and grace, and how he's the chief of sinners. And then all of a sudden, he just stops in verse 17, and he says, To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what that is? That's what's called a doxology, okay? Now, a doxology is when you reach a certain level of joy, you, can't, you, you just got to bust out in, in praise, okay? You, you just reach a certain level level of, of ecstatic celebration and what God has done. And so Paul just stops talking about what he's talking about. And he just says, man, to the God who's immortal and glorious and invisible, the only God be blessing forever and ever. Amen. You know, I mean, he just burst out in praise. We got a little, a little dog named Snickers. And uh, whenever Snickers reaches a certain level of excitement, you know, like, like if we actually let her in the house during the day to play with the kids, we don't usually do that, but like on a snowy day or something, we might do that. And whenever she reaches a certain level of exuberance, and excitement, Snickers cannot control herself anymore. And she, well, she pees a little is what she does, you know. She, she can't hold it in, you know. And it's, it's not because you got to go. She's just so excited, you know. Oop, whoops, accident, you know. I mean, that's what happens. I've, I've, got, a, I've got a little, little boy that I, that I know. He, he's just a cool little boy. And uh, uh, Denim Etro, he's real smart, does great in school and everything. But when he reaches a certain level of excitement in his life, he can't, he can't form sentences anymore. I mean, when he gets so excited, he, he starts to stutter is what he does, you know. So he'll be talking and we'll be going to do something. You know, Pastor, oh, bah, 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 bah. And he, just, he just can't talk anymore because he's like triggered that certain level. Okay, when Paul gets to a certain level of excitement and exuberance and just glory, okay, you know what happens? He, he, he just breaks out in, in doxology, you know. He's just the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. And he goes right on with what he's talking about. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy. I mean, isn't that cool? You know, think about it. You're at Subway eating with the Apostle Paul. He's sharing his testimony. He's saying, well, yeah, man, this is who I used to be. And man, I was a, I was a persecutor of Christians. And but God gave me grace. And God gave me mercy. And, and oh, man, now he's entrusting me with the gospel. And pretty soon you, get, you can tell he's getting excited, excited. Pretty soon he stands up in Subway, you know, and says, the only God, immortal, invisible, forever and ever, amen. You know, he sits down. He starts talking to you again. I mean, that's kind of what's happening here. I mean, Paul is just overcome with joy at the fact that he is entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, you know why? Because to Paul, the gospel is the most valuable possession possible. I mean, think about it. There is nothing else that gives somebody a new heart and a new mind and a right relationship with God. Only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel can deliver a man from the horrible wrath of God. Only the gospel can bring a person from being an enemy of God to standing as a son in the kingdom of God. Only the gospel can bring freedom from sin and transformation of life. Only the gospel 
gospel brings joy inexpressible and pleasures forevermore. Only the gospel reveals to us in a very vivid way the glorious character of the invisible God. We see the courage of God in the gospel. We see the power of God in the gospel. We see the plan of God in the gospel. And the gospel, according to Paul, look at verse 11. It is glorious. It is the glorious gospel of the blessed God. And Paul just cannot believe that he gets the opportunity to not only be a Christian, but also to give that gospel to somebody else. I mean, why would God give him that opportunity? Why wouldn't God choose an angel to trumpet the gospel? You know, an angel that's a glorious being with a a voice like a jet engine, you know, created by God, worshiping God forever. Why wouldn't God choose that being to deliver the message of salvation to June or to Ed or or to Raymond? Why, why, Why would God choose a guy like Paul? Why would he choose us? Why, why would he choose a Sunday school teacher or, or a team kid teacher? Why would Paul get to be the one? Why would we get to be the one to tell people the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? And let me just stop right here and ask you, is that the way that you see the gospel? You know, do you see it like this? Do you see it that, that you've been entrusted with this, this incredible privilege, this, this incredible honor of sharing the glorious gospel? I mean, is, is that the way you see it? And it's not just Paul. We might think it's just Paul, but in verse 18, he says, Timothy, I charge you, you know, I entrust this to you. This is being entrusted to you. You're a believer. And so you're entrusted with the gospel. And so it would be true for us as well to say we're entrusted with the gospel. Man, is that the way that you look at being a Sunday school teacher or being a team kid teacher or, or, or sharing the gospel with your friend at lunch or your kids in the evening? Man, is that the way you look at that? You know, you know here's how I think we ought to look at being a team kid teacher. Instead of looking at it as, Man, I got, I got a bunch of unruly kids for an hour and a half. You know what we ought to look at it? We ought to say, man, I get the privilege. The church gives me the privilege to have, have 15 kids in my class. And I've got one job, one job. I don't have to be funny. I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to do backflips, you know. I don't have to teach them a fastball. I've got one job, and that is to proclaim to these kids the glorious deeds of the Lord. That's our team kid mission statement. I've got one job, and that's to give them the gospel. And what a privilege, what an honor, what a, what a glorious thing that we get to do that. Man, I tell you what, how bad is it if we complain or grumble or see ministry as a chore? Man, I don't, I don't ever want to be that way. You know, my, my mom and dad, I talk to my mom and dad every Sunday morning at 7 o'clock. Uh, it's, that's kind of, a, I don't know, it just turned out that way. But I call them every morning, every, every Sunday morning at 7 o'clock and we talk. We talk while I'm, I'm turning on the thermostats and the lights and stuff in the building. And I was talking to them this morning. It's their 40th anniversary is coming up. And, and so we were talking about when we we're supposed to go there next weekend. We we're talking about when we we're going to get there and when we we're going to come back. And, you know, it's always a disappointment because, you know, we, we need to be back. You know, our weekend ends, you know, Saturday at noon, sort of, you know. And so, you know, it's always, ah, oh, you can't, you know. But, but, but I said, oh, hold on, Mom. Hold on. You know, and she understands that. But I was like, hold on, Mom. But, but the good news is I get paid to give the gospel to people. I mean, is that not a great thing? I mean, wow. Wow. I'll miss a little bit of the anniversary celebration, but mom, I mean, I, I, people, people actually, they put me on salary and seven days a week, I get explained the gospel to people. There is nothing greater than that. 
Man, that's how we ought to look at ministry at Lincoln Avenue. That's how we ought to look at being a team kid teacher, being a faith writer, being a Sunday school teacher, being whatever, whatever opportunity you have to give the gospel. Man, it ought to fill us with incredible joy that God has enabled and trusted us to do that job. I mean, there's nothing greater than that. There's nothing more fun than that. Man, I, I tell you, I get, I get some sweet jobs as a pastor, okay? One, one of my jobs uh, in the last week and a half, three different times, I've got to go to somebody's house with an, an anonymous envelope that was left at the office for them. Now, I was hoping there wasn't hate mail in them, but fortunately there was money in all three, okay? Isn't that cool? So I, I get to go, and it's not from me. I didn't write a check. It's not my money. It doesn't cost me nothing. I just get to be the guy that says, hey, somebody in our church you know, knew you were struggling and they gave you this, you know, and I get to be the one that gives that. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's a fun thing. I've always wanted to be the boss of something because I always thought it'd be really cool to give promotions, wouldn't it? You know, I mean, wouldn't that be a fun meeting? You know, that's a lot better than you're fired. You know, to be able to tell somebody, hey, you've done such a great job. You're moving from the janitor's closet to the corner office, you know? I mean, wouldn't that be kind of a fun thing to do, you know? Or maybe to be a guy that gives awards or presentations. I tell you what, we've got something so much better than that. What we have is to give people the words of life. This is how to have a right relationship with God. This is how to be justified, to be forgiven, to be holy, to be taken care of for all eternity in fullness of joy and pleasures forever. And I know how that can happen in your life. Let me tell you how. That's incredible, isn't it? I mean, I'm just in awe of that. I feel the way Paul does that God, wow, I can't believe God would trust us to do that, especially because each one of us is completely unworthy and disqualified from doing that, especially the apostle Paul. That's what he says here. He says in verse 11, in accordance with the glorious gospel, the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. And then in verse 12, he says, I thank him. who's given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though, listen, even though, Formerly, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, man, I lived a life that should have completely disqualified me from ever being in God's family or ever being a person who shared the good news of Jesus for God. That's each one of us. You get, you get the heaviness of that? Let's just say that... Uh, you're applying to be a greeter at Walmart, okay? You, you, you want to be a greeter. You want to get that job, okay? So you take your resume. You take your application. But here's what your resume says, okay? Your resume is very firm and very honest, and it says on your resume that you hate people. And you hate talking to people. You don't like to talk to anybody. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't enjoy anybody, Okay? Your resume says you never smile. Not only do you never smile, you are incapable of smiling. You have not smiled for so long that your face is contorted in such a way that you cannot smile. You read down more further on your resume and it says that you think people who shop at large chain stores are stupid. And that you can't stand for very long periods of time. You have horrible breath. Not just, not just onion breath, but I mean bad, you know, halitosis type breath. And the final thing on your resume says you have active tuberculosis. Can I be a greeter at Walmart? Okay, that, that's, that's the resume you give them. Now, wouldn't it be an incredible thing if they said you, you got the job? 
Not only do you have the job, though, but we're going to go ahead and pay for you to have a surgery that gets your mouth so you can smile again. And we're going to go ahead and give you a new heart so that you don't hate people. And we're going to go ahead and give you the skills that you need to talk to people and to be friendly with people. And we're going to go ahead and give you the legs that you need to stand for long periods of time. And we're going to go ahead and heal you of your tuberculosis. And we're going to fit you to be this, okay? That's exactly what God does to every born-again believer, okay? That's exactly what God did in Paul's life. He was uniquely disqualified from ever being in God's family and ever being any of any use to the kingdom of God. Notice what it says about him. In verse 13, he says about himself, I was a blasphemer. You know what a blasphemer is? A blasphemer is a person that says Jesus Christ is not God. He's a fraud. He's a fake. He's a phony. That's what Paul said. Paul lived much of his life saying those things about Jesus and trying to get other people to say them about Jesus. Further, he goes in verse 13. He says, I'm a persecutor. I was a persecutor. Remember what Jesus said? The first thing Jesus said to, to Paul when he appeared to him on the Damascus road, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, you're killing Christians and you're abusing Christians and you're putting Christians in jail and you're separating mothers and, and fathers from their children. You, you, you're doing all these things, but you're doing them to me. You hate me, Paul. It's me that you hate. Not only is he a persecutor, but the Bible says, or he says about himself, I was an insolent opponent, or if you have another translation, a violent aggressor. In other words, Paul had some sort of twisted pleasure in this. I mean, he was a violent man. We're not just talking he did what was necessary. He enjoyed seeing Christians suffer. He enjoyed seeing Stephen get rocks thrown at his head until he was dead. I mean, that's the kind of guy Paul was. He was in no way qualified to be in the family of God. He in no way deserved to be one of God's children. He in no way deserved to be a person who was entrusted with the words of life, the story of Jesus Christ. But you know what happened? Two things happened. Look at them in verse 13 and verse 14. Verse 13 says, Formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received, everybody say it together, Mercy. You see that? Mercy. That's a sweet word, isn't it? You know what mercy is? Mercy is when God so acts in your life that he does not give you what you really deserve. Let's keep reading. Because I had acted in ignorance, ignorantly and in unbelief. And then verse 14, and the, say that one with me, and the grace, the grace of our Lord overflowed. It superabounded is what the word means for me. It was a geyser of grace into my life. You know what grace is? Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Grace is when you get what you have not earned, have not worked for, have not merited. That's what grace is. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, we are saved by grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith in this, not of yourselves, not of works. It's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. The Bible says we are saved by grace. Now, I know that's hard for us to understand because there's really nothing else in our life that's like that, right? Everything else in our life we work for, we get merit for, right? You work hard, you get a promotion. You're friendly, you have friends. You're fast and strong, you win the game. You're qualified, you get the job. That's what we're used to. And so there's a lot of people within their mind that's what they think about their relationship with God. If I'm good enough, then I'll be with God. I'll be a son of God. I'll be a child of God. I'll be in heaven. I'll be used of God. It just doesn't work that way and it doesn't work 
work that way because none of us are good. You see, God showers his grace upon the unworthy, the undeserving, the unqualified. He loves the unlovable. He gives to people who have done nothing to deserve his gifts because at the core of God's nature, he's gracious. That's who he is. He's full of grace and full of mercy. So Paul didn't want Jesus. He didn't believe in Jesus. He, he, he thinks Jesus is a fraud. He actively pursues harming Jesus. And God reaches down in grace. And grace overflows into Paul's life. And he receives mercy. And Paul is born again and entrusted with a life of giving the gospel to other people. That is grace. It is really an important thing for the believers at Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church to understand grace. And the reason is, is because there's not one of you that got in the kingdom any other way. Okay? If you're, if, you are, if you're a believer today, that's between you and God. But if you consider yourself to be a believer today, I can assure you, you got there only one way. And that's by the grace of God. You don't deserve to be there. You deserve to be in hell, as do I. We, we deserve the wrath of God. That's all that we deserve. That's all that we've earned in all of our life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But if if God has saved you, if you're a saved individual today, then you are there because of the grace of God. Now, what, what, what part of that means is we need to be a people. We need to be a people who demonstrate that in our lives. In other words, those who have received grace are gracious people. Those who've received mercy are merciful people. Okay? So let's, let's think about how that's going to play out in our lives. Okay? Grace means that God doesn't hold a grudge. True or false? True, right? Isn't that what grace means? Grace, part of what grace means is God didn't hold a grudge against us. You know, you know what I'm so glad did not happen this morning? I woke up this morning and, and, and I began to pray and I began to have some time of prayer. In fact, I sat out very early in the morning. It was still dark and I was sitting out on my little bench out in my front yard. And I was just praying about today. And I'm so glad that I didn't start praying. And I didn't start saying, Lord... You know, thank you for today. It's the day you've made. I rejoice in today. And I'm so glad God didn't butt in and say, hey, 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 what about 1976? Remember that? Huh? You remember what you did then? Hey, hey, what about the 80s? What about the entire decade of the 80s? You were a wretch. You offended me day after day. You willingly disobeyed. You willingly broke my laws. You willingly rebelled against me. And now you're coming to me and asking for stuff. Man, I'm glad God didn't do that. You know why God didn't do that? He's got a grace. And grace means God didn't hold a grudge. Now, let's play that out. If we're people that have received incredible grace, then shouldn't we be the people who give grace? And if God doesn't hold a grudge, then, yeah, we shouldn't hold a grudge, Right? Think what else grace means. Grace means that we don't get the punishment and the wrath that we deserve. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad for that. I'm so glad this is not like a fair deal. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, man, I'm glad things aren't fair. If things were fair, that means I go to hell. You know, if, if God treats me for who I am, then I can't be with him. And I can't be in the kingdom. And I can't be forgiven. If God treats me for who I am, then none of that, none of that happens. And, and so since I've received grace, then that means I give grace. And so that, you know what that means? That means that I, I don't treat people for what they deserve. 
Man, I tell you what, it's a, it's a bad thing to see a graceless Christian. You know, it's a bad thing to see a Christian who says, I'm, I'm going to treat people for what they deserve, you know? If people are irritating, by golly, I'm not having anything to do with them. If people are, are stupid, then I'm going to make sure they know that. If people are unpleasant, then I'm not having anything to do with them. Well, I'm glad God didn't do that to us. Aren't you? Man, I'm glad he doesn't treat me like a sinner. He treats me as if I were righteous with his righteousness. I tell you, there, there are some Christians in this church who are so good at this. And I, every time I see it, it's like, wow. I mean, it's one of the most exciting things, I think, in ministry. Is, is to see, and I've seen this several times, see a Christian who, who comes in contact with somebody who's unpleasant, not nice, not pretty, not... They don't smell good. They don't, there's nothing good, okay? There's nothing good. And to see a believer who treats them like royalty. That, that is so cool. Have you ever seen that? You know, and it, man, you just, wow. You just got to step back and say, that's the grace of Jesus. The only way that happens is because there's a person who has received God's grace. And now they're given it. It's, it's, it's amazing to see. Amazing to see. Grace means that whatever good we attain to in this life is given to us by God. Isn't that what grace means? We, we don't deserve, we haven't earned nothing, nothing, right? Now, let me show you a verse that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Okay, he says, whatever I am, whatever good I've done, whatever, whatever thing that I've accomplished in life, I have done so by the grace of God. And he says, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Okay, so you're saying, well, hold on. He's saying God was gracious, but he also worked hard. Keep reading the verse. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that's in me. (laughs) You you see what Paul says? Paul says, man, any victory in my life, any any purity in my life, any any love in my life, any, any holiness in my life, it's there because of the grace of God working in me. I want you to notice something about verse 13. Verse 13 says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. Now, what what I want you to see about this, and this is a little rabbit trail, but I think it's worth us taking a trip down. I want you to see that Paul is very aware of his past. Anybody got a past in here today? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll just go ahead and raise mine. Uh, got a past that may, maybe maybe you're not real uh, real proud of. Maybe, maybe you, you, to some degree, lived a lot of your life in rebellion to Jesus Christ and, and in active rebellion to Jesus Christ. Well, well, here, Paul did too. And, and you know the interesting thing about Paul is Paul doesn't try to cover that up, you know? I mean, when it's appropriate, Paul is willing to tell people, yes, that's who I was. I, I was a blasphemer. I was, I was a persecutor. I did really bad things to Christians. Yeah, there, there, there's, there's children out there that don't have a mommy or daddy because of me. I mean, that's a heavy thing, isn't it, to admit? You know, he didn't, he didn't try to cover that up. He says, you know what? I, I was all of that. He didn't try to justify it. He, 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 he regrets it deeply, but he, he, he honestly admits it. Okay, but you know the cool thing about that? 
Paul is not paralyzed by his past either, okay? Isn't that great? He's not paralyzed. He's not hopeless because of his past. You know what he's not doing? He's not sitting around saying, you know what? I would do something for God, but nobody would want me. I would try something for God, but my past is too bad. I, I would try to be in a small group, but nobody would accept me because of who I've been. You know, Paul doesn't do that. It was actually true in some of, in, in, sometimes in Paul's life. He goes to Jerusalem church. He wants to be in a small group. He wants to be in a, in, in, in a Sunday school class. Nobody will let him, you know, because nobody believes he's really changed. He was so bad. Nobody thought, man, this guy could never be saved. But you know what? Paul does not let his past paralyze him. You know why? Because as great as his sin was, you know what Paul really affirms? God's grace is greater. Isn't that awesome? God's grace is greater. It's bigger. No matter how big your sin is, the grace of God is greater. And understanding God's grace in his life removed his guilt. Understanding God's grace in his life brought gratitude. Understanding God's grace in his life made him glad to serve. In verse 12, he rejoices that he can be a servant. Man, there's, there's many of us who would readily say, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. But you know what? There are times where when people treat us like a servant, then we get all miffed, you know? Isn't that kind of funny? I'm a servant. Don't you treat me like a servant, you know? I'm not your slave. Don't you tell me what to do. You know, I'm not doing that bad job, you know? Are we a servant or not? Man, Paul, Paul rejoices to be a servant. You know, man, whatever I can do for the kingdom, I want to do. I want you to notice verse 15. We're going to skip to there. Notice how Paul describes his life. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Okay, the foremost means the worst. Okay, if you have a King James Bible, it says I'm the chief. So Paul is saying, I'm the worst of all the sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. Now, what exactly is Paul describing there? I've tried to figure out exactly how he judged that to be true. Does he mean that in every category of sin that Paul has done more than everybody else? Is he saying he's murdered more than Pharaoh and Herod and Hitler? That he's lied more than Jim Jones and Charles Manson? That he's raped and pillaged more than the soldiers of the Khmer Rouge or Adolf Hitler? I don't think that's what Paul is saying. But here's what I do believe, that this is the inspired word of God. And so when it says Paul's the chief of sinners, okay, I don't know how they figured that, but, but the inspired word of God says it. And so evidently Paul's sin, and here's the way I think about it in my mind, was uniquely against Jesus, was uniquely, uniquely attacking the Lord Jesus. And so he sees himself as the chief of sinners. But here's, here's what's interesting. I'm going to go on another little rabbit trail here. Everybody I talk to works really hard. To try to say that they're not as bad as somebody else. Man, people do that all the time. Don't act surprised, you know. You do that, don't you? You, you work hard to try to, you know, what so-and-so's worse than I, I'm, I'm, I'm bad, but pastor, that, he's really bad, you know. Man, this even happens in marriage. You ever see that in marriage, you know? It's like, who's, who's, who's the better spouse? Who's... Who's, who's the bigger martyr? You know, who does more around here? Who, who, who suffers more? Yeah, we got some people raising their hand. You know, I, I, that happens, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, it's going to be bad after service. It's a good thing we're talking about grace, aren't we? So, so here, here's my question. Why does Paul so easily raise his hand and say, I'm worse? I'm the worst. How does he do that? I got... I got Two, two things, I think. Here's how he does it. Number one, 
Paul knows a principle of the Christian life. And here it is. The more you see Jesus, okay? That's what happens in the Christian life. Isn't that, isn't that right? 2 Corinthians 3.18, in that, that verse we look at all the time, that describes how, how, how we're coming to see more and more the glory of Jesus, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I mean, that's the Christian life, as we see more of Jesus, more of his power, more of his, his love, more of his, his, his mercy, okay? And the more we see of him, here's a strange thing the more we see of our sin. Isn't that true? The more you see of Jesus, the more you see your own sin. I, I talk to people frequently that don't know Jesus. They, they don't love Jesus. They haven't seen his glory. He's not awesome to them. They're not impressed by him. Inevitably, inevitably, you know what those people tell me? They tell me that they're not very big sinners. Almost always, almost always. They, they tell me that, oh, they, they know they're not perfect. I mean, I don't know very many people. I've met a couple that say they're perfect, but I kind of wonder about them. I really, I have. Um, but the majority of people, here's, here's what they would say. If they don't know Jesus, they're not impressed with Jesus. They'll say something like, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I try to live a good life. I'm not that bad. Okay? Here's what happens when you get saved. When, when you get saved and you begin to see Jesus, all of a sudden you begin to see more of your sin. You're like, man, where'd that come from? Wow. I didn't realize that was wrong. I didn't realize that my attitude was that way. And I didn't realize when I'm being sarcastic like that, that there's really something wrong in my heart toward that person. And boy, I didn't realize my motives were so off. And boy, I didn't realize that just, just looking the way I look is, is sin. You see, all of a sudden, Jesus begins to reveal sin to us. Doesn't that, isn't that what happens? You see, before you come to Christ, you know what you get to do? You just get to compare yourself to other people. You know, and so I'm just comparing myself to Fred, you know, and I'm like, hey, I look pretty good, you know, and, and, I, and I just kind of pick the things that Fred is not good at. And I magnify those and I, I pick the things that I'm not very good at my own sin and I minimize those. And that's what everybody does. Right. You know, your sin. Well, that's not that big a deal. His sin. Oh, you're going to fry, buddy. I mean, that, that's, that's the way we look isn't it. That's what we do. But when we become a Christian, what happens? All of a sudden, the standard's not Fred. The standard's Jesus. And I begin to see more and more of my sin. You know what else is true? I see more of my sin than I see of anybody else's. You know why that is? I can see your sin, by the way, and you can see mine, but not all of it, right? I see your sinful actions. You see mine. You know, when you have a bad attitude, I see it. When you lose your temper, I see it. When I lose mine, you see it. Okay, We see that stuff. You know what you can't see? You can't see my heart. I can't see yours. So there's a whole lot of sin we don't see in others, right? We don't see envy and we don't see covetousness and we don't see lust and we don't see greed and we don't see resentment and we don't see bitterness. We don't see selfishness in the heart anyway, right? And see, you, you know what is factually true of me? If I add it all up, I definitely see more of my sin than I see of anybody else's. I think those two factors made it pretty easy for Paul to raise his hand and say, I'm the worst. It ought to make it easy for us to admit our sin as well. 
and not be so critical of others. You ever, you ever notice that? That's one of the things grace does. Man, it makes you not so critical of others because you see yourself and you see what you've been given. Well, let's cut to the end here. You're like, whew, okay? Here, here, here's the point of this passage, verse, verse 16. Paul says, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the, as the chief of sinners, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display. Okay, what's God doing? In saving Paul, he's displaying his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. And so God saving Paul serves as an example. What example is that? If God saves the chief of sinners, what does that mean? Nobody is beyond Hope. Isn't that cool? Oh, I love that. And you know what? God says that all through the Bible. God shows that all. There there are just things that God does in the Bible that demonstrate that God can save whoever he wants to save. All right? Lazarus, he's dead in the tomb four days. He's not too dead for Jesus. Jesus brings him out. Ezekiel has a congregation of dry bones. All right? Dry bones. God says, preach to them and watch what I'll do. All right? Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Peter denied Jesus three times. The Samaritan woman had a string of five failed marriages and was currently shacked up with a guy. And none of them, none of them were out of the reach of God's grace. And then God saves Paul and he says, look, this is the chief of sinners. This is the guy who hated me more than anybody hated me. This is the guy who hated Christianity more than anybody's hated Christianity. And if I can save Paul, then there is nobody outside of my reach. Not your neighbor, not your son, not your daughter daughter, not your friend, not your parents. God's grace is able to touch anybody. You know, you know what the salvation of Paul did? It really messed up work salvation. You see, there's most of our world out there who really believes a religion that's basically this, okay? There's a line, okay? And on this side of the line are the good people. And on this side of the line are the bad people. The good people go to heaven and have a relationship with God. The bad people go to hell and they're punished forever. That that is the religion of most of the world, okay? In one form or another. Now, here's the tricky thing. Where's that line? You see, if, if, you're, if you have a religion of work salvation, which most people do, most people are articulate it like this. You know, if I ask them, you know, are you going to go to heaven? Do you believe in God? Yes. Yeah, I, th- I think I am. Why do you think you're going to go to heaven? Well, I'm, I try to be a good person. You see, they've got a line somewhere. But where's the line? That's my question. Nobody's ever been able to answer that for me. Where exactly is that line? You know, is it once you've committed 8,344 sins, you're still barely on the good side. But 8,345, you're lost. Is that what it is? You know, where is it? Is it 10,422? Where is it? You know, well, here's what God did, okay? There's not a line. Actually, there is a line. Okay, I'll talk about that in a minute. But here's what God did. God went clear to this other side. Okay, he goes clear to the other side and he gets the last guy. Okay, the guy at the very end and he saves him and he appoints him as an apostle to the Gentiles, to the world. And he inspires him to write 13 books of the New Testament. And he says, all right, this is the way we're going to do it. It's not about works. It's about grace. It's about who God shows grace to. Now, I told you there is. Actually, there is a line. You know what? The line is way over here, though. There's only one person on this side, and that's Jesus. Everybody else needs grace. Everybody else needs the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. Listen, friends. If you're a believer today, 
you're there because God was gracious to you. God showed incredible mercy, more than you could ever deserve. And as, as those who've received grace, let's, let's show that we believe that by being people of grace. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, your grace to us, your mercy to us, your love toward us. God, we affirm and understand, and, and God, we proclaim today that we don't deserve any of that. God, that if you gave us what we deserved, God, I'd be in hell. And Father, I'm thankful that you were so merciful to us. And I pray, Jesus, that you would fill us with yourself, that you would fill us with your truth. God, that you'd fill us with your grace and that we would live that out today um, among our neighbors, our family, our spouse, our kids. God, help us to be people of grace. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.